0: Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of Shamelessly Unapologetic with me, your host, Alana Pinsky. So we're back with another guest episode and I am so excited for this episode. I just wanted to say that I'm currently back in my hometown of Richmond, Virginia for the whole month of April. And so far it hasn't been too bad. My best friend got married a few days ago and I had a great time at her wedding. And then I'm gonna be home for Passover. So my mom is definitely gonna be enjoying that. And what else is going on? um nothing too much i've just kind of been looking at jobs and just really focusing on my podcast and content creation i know i will be doing a lot of videos this month based off richmond virginia so i'm actually kind of excited to create some content because i'm definitely going to find some ways to make those videos fun but basically that's just kind of been what's going on with me nothing much has really changed since last week but i am so excited for you to listen to this episode we have a great episode with frankie tank rhodes so he is really well known for his tiktok videos about being in hr as a black man and he also debunks a lot of things regarding the job search he is just absolutely awesome we had such a great conversation we talked a lot about diversity and racism in the workplace especially within the hr field we talked a little bit about how hard it is to authentically be ourselves and what professionalism means to us And we also demystified some of the things that you will hear online about the job search. So this was a really great conversation. I think you guys will get a lot out of this episode. There's tons of takeaways. So with that being said, let's go ahead and get into this interview. Frankie, hello. How are you doing? Welcome to Shamelessly Unapologetic.
1: Thank you so very much. I appreciate you sharing this time with me. I'm very, very excited to get into this. Very excited.
0: Absolutely. So for those of y'all who are listening, this is Frankie Rhodes and he goes by HR Agents of Chaos on TikTok where he posts a lot of content. Actually, you know what? Why am I introducing him? Let (laughs) him be the one to introduce himself. So Frankie, take it away and tell us a little bit about yourself
1: yeah um you got the name already um i either go by frankie or tank i will respond to both born and raised in boston mass i actually live in providence now i've been on the east coast my entire life new ish to hr i've been doing this for about three or four years now uh the people ops world in general same um, yeah and uh tick was a venture that i actively avoided for quite some time <laughs> I, my friends would text me links and i'm like oh this is funny like whatever and then few people were like, "Yo, you should just use this thing and just talk about like all the stuff you tweet about or whatever." My brand is HR's agent of chaos, and uh, there's a variety of reasons behind that. Um, the chaos part is just because of who I am. It's my personality. Yeah. It's it's stirring up trouble and the good trouble. And
0: we love the good trouble.
1: It's you need it, right? Like it yeah. just has to happen. And the the time that I've spent in this space so far in human resources and people ops, whatever kind of pretty name people want to put on it. I've learned that there's a variety of things that don't really need to be held from the people who don't work in this universe. Almost owed certain bits of information so you have a much higher chance of success of landing the role you want, the money you want, the people you want to be around. So my job is to knock all this shit over.
0: <laughs> I love it. <laughs> So I have a question for you, and this is actually a question that I ask every single guest on my show. Mm-hmm. So before we dive into our main conversation today, what is the biggest thing that you are mostly unapologetic about?
1: <sighs> me, just being me. I'm a Black male in mm-hmm. the of America, and... It's one of the things that I, in both my personal and professional life, I've been criticized for the most, it's mostly professional, surprisingly, um, Yeah. just in terms of delivery or being classed as unrefined or unpolished and all of these things. And then in the same conversations, it would be like, we want you to be your true self at work. And it's like, okay, well, you can't have both.
0: Oh my God. I got so much to say about that, but keep going.
1: (laughs) So much time could be spent on that. But in in my mind, and I've done content on this before, it's do I wait for the world to change and not be myself while I wait for that change, which I could be dead and gone before that happens? Or do I just be me and whoever wants to engage with that engages with that and that has brought such a unique perspective to myself on how I want to carry myself and show who I am to other people because I'm this way in every space that I'm in. Like, there's no like work, Frankie, and then home, Frankie, and then social life, Frankie. With close friends, like, there's no categories. Like, you're gonna get tanked every single time we are in whatever space. So it's it. I'm all, I'm unapologetic about me.
0: Yeah. No, I love that. And I'm so glad you brought up the thing about whether or not you have to figure out if you can even be yourself at work, because I don't know what it is, because this is something that I really struggle with myself. And I'd love to hear your perspective and any maybe issues you've run into. So Mm -hmm. I'm also a very unapologetic, very loud, opinionated person.
1: As you should be.
0: Yeah. And I cannot tell you how many times my mouth has gotten me in trouble at work. And it's just, it's hard because it's like, you want to be professional, right? But at the same time, I just feel like being professional really masks you from being your true authentic self. And part of me also is starting to recognize this. And honestly, and sadly, it took me maybe two years ago to recognize this. But I truly think the word professional or professionalism, is really just catered in like white comfort and white supremacy. And basically, if you go against the norm, or if you do something that's like not comfortable to white people, and I'm speaking this as a woman who is white, but I'm Jewish. And like, there's other things besides that. But still, I know us white people we're flawed as hell. And so I'm willing to even call out our own problems that we have and hold our own selves accountable. But it's sad that it took me so long for me to recognize that this is old traditional bullshit that people don't want to accept. They don't want change. They're afraid of change and progress and realizing we can't be our true authentic selves and we have to be super duper serious and it's work 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 work. And,
1: and I'm so, just kind told of thinking, you that. What? <laughs> yeah.
0: It's like, why can't we be our own selves? Like I understand. Like sometimes we we can take it too far at work. And of course there is a time and place for certain conversations to happen at work or with your coworkers and you, just never know like who you can trust at work. And that's always been like a very scary thing. I know I've gotten maybe a little bit backstabbed or betrayed by people who I thought I could trust at my job. And it bites me in the ass. And I have a talk with the manager saying like, I have some negative feedback for you. And I'm thinking up, here we go. What is it?
1: (laughs) I'm so glad you talked about two very specific things here. One being the recognition of just the things you needed to work on with yourself and the deconstructing and reconstructing not just to make sure that you're creating a space for any demographic really because yeah the idea is that everyone is supposed to be involved whether you're white or not right issue comes with the white counterpart not recognizing intentionally not recognizing the systems that are put in place for y'all to make it right
0: mm-hmm. the
1: other piece that i really really enjoy because i i just did a video about this yesterday what the hell is professionalism right yeah <laughs> like, there's a dictionary definition which is mostly just pertains to just work it only talks about work it doesn't talk about how you carry yourself uh physically or in terms of your delivery or, or mannerisms or anything like that your parents, which was something that I've recently, for the first time in a long time, uh, had brought to my attention. It doesn't mention anything aesthetic. So when we mention professionalism, is it about how good I am at what I'm doing and what I'm trying to learn how to get better at? Was it the person who is sharing what they're doing and what they're trying to get better at? One of those is extraordinarily incorrect, and we are pretty sure which one of those is not the right way. To handle professionalism when we think about the concept of of professionalism especially when we get into how someone might carry themselves in an interview or how someone might carry themselves in the workplace it's when you turn on your camera in the age of digital everything are your biases checked in your bed before you left from the bed to the kitchen and then to the kitchen to your home office wherever that may be in your crib did you leave that like in the room because you can't bring that to complete strangers. And you can't bring that to people that you chill and work with every single day. Because you're contributing, whether it's intentional or not, you're contributing to the problem and not in and of itself is a problem.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned aesthetic because what you look like on the outside has nothing to do with how you're going to provide good work to your company. Do you remember this song on TikTok? I don't know if you ever came across of it, but it was going, having colored hair doesn't make you unprofessional. Yes. Hey, exhibit A right here. I'm pointing to myself. I have purple hair. I mean, my roots are black, but I have purple hair. And guess what? My hair has never been the reason as to why I've never gotten hired at a company. Exactly. And if that was the reason, then uh, clearly I dodged a bullet.
1: That sounds like their problem.
0: <laughs> right? It's, and that's a bias that people like need to check because we're so caught up in aesthetics as well when aesthetics should not have anything to do with who we are. I think professionalism is really just about behavior, how yeah. we carry ourselves and how we get our work done. So we're providing good work for our company, and we're helping the company out that we're working for to success, right? Right. So if I wanted to wear sweatpants to my nine to five office job, thank God for remote work, because that's literally what I wear now. (laughs) But you know, I had worked at startups before the pandemic, my first two jobs in San Francisco pre COVID. Mm -hmm. I was able to dress casually. I could wear jeans and a flannel button down. That's the thing with leggings is like you can dress them up. You can style them so you're not looking very frumpy and like you just got out of bed. But it just never impacted like how I did my job as a person. It shouldn't. It it, it shouldn't. It doesn't make any sense.
1: I struggle with this a lot because it's really easy for what I'm about to say to be thought of as an extreme, right? But like, if I rolled up to my job in some leggings, I'm gonna get some looks. Somebody gonna be like, hey, Tank, uh, you should, uh, (laughs) let's (laughs) talk over here in the corner. And I'm gonna understand that to a degree. At the same time, nothing about what I decide to wear outside my house on any particular day, caters, speaks to whatever category or words you wanna use has nothing to do with how good I am at my job. Literally zero.
0: Exactly. And another thing that ties into this is how we present ourselves on social media. I think like there's this whole controversy now where people will say, you know, you got to watch what you say on social media because it can bite you back in the butt at your job. And that can be true, especially like if you publicly shit talk about your company on your personal social medias. Okay, yeah. Like, you know what? You, you deserve to lose your job for that. There's, That's a There's a line with my YouTube channel. I'm not going to lie. Some of the videos that I post on my channel are not necessarily safe for work. Even some of the things that I talk about on my podcast are not safe for work. But that is completely separate from who I am as a working professional, right. who I am as a technical recruiter, because God forbid that I have my own life and personality outside of my job.
1: It's so crazy that people who also do this themselves think that other people creators like you and I are th- the personalities are one and the same and I the the only platforms I really really use in excess is LinkedIn Twitter and TikTok
0: oh my like, god I love LinkedIn, LinkedIn. Image,
1: right like there's an image to an extent and over recent and over the past few years we've seen people kind of become more straightforward on LinkedIn. Oh my God. Yes. And it's something that I was actually terrified to do before, because there's this, the stigma of like, this is a professional networking site. Exactly. People forget sometimes that it is social media. It still has a purpose. So you don't want to cross too many boundaries while trying to be as authentic as possible. So how do you do that? Right? For me, it was a balance and this was long before I decided to do TikTok. Twitter is my escape. If you go on my Twitter, it is not just like HR and like hiring content. It's everything. I'm more than mm-hmm. half the time. I'm roasting people. I'm roasting things. It's my yeah. outlet, like all that stuff. That's my little slice of heaven. So if you end up over there, that's on you. TikTok is an interesting place. I've been on it for almost a year. Um, it'll be a year, somewhere in the middle of this month. And what I've noticed on my account And some of the other uh, people ops creators on there is once I set, there was a video I did where I set a boundary and Mm -hmm. I was like, look, I need y'all to understand while I have a particular focus in a sense of the things that I say to y'all, this is my personal account. This doesn't represent who I work for. I don't want TikTok. I'm not getting paid for this. I don't want to get paid for this. I'm doing this because I care. And I'm trying to be the help that I wish I had at any point in both of the yes. careers I've now had. Like yes. I've had a long career in retail and I'm planning on having a long career in human resources. And as long as TikTok or whatever version of this exists, I've met so many people over the past year who are like, wow, I wish someone told me this sooner. And I'm like, shit, me too. Like, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to be a, a, a pair of binoculars. I wanted it to be an insight in my journey in HR past experience, as far as how I've been, how I've interacted with people in this realm before I even knew what it was and how to get into it. Like it took me, I didn't know where to even start. And most people kind of end up in this realm by accident. Yeah, are like you know I like the people side of things or whatever the reasoning may be. Um, I've ve- I've met very few people who've gone to school for this.
0: Yeah, people say you don't go to school to be a recruiter, no. and I'm like, you're right, but it, it happens, and it's funny. I'm actually gonna ask one of those questions to you because I want to hear how you fell into the HR space. But before I do that. One thing you mentioned about LinkedIn and how you mentioned that people are becoming more open and straightforward on LinkedIn, and it's definitely been really recent, I'd say maybe since the pandemic has started. Yeah. And I want to say, if you really think about it, LinkedIn is social media. Yep. Is it a great networking and professional platform? Yes, but you have to remember it is still social, social media. media.
1: And people will get on there and say and do crazy stuff. And I mean, the stories that specifically women come back to me with are unreal. I don't, good God.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there are definitely wrong ways to use LinkedIn. Like I definitely believe LinkedIn should never be used as a dating app. I can definitely agree with that. Then again, I'm kind of a hypocrite because I actually did meet someone off LinkedIn that I actually did talk to and dated here for a month. We didn't use LinkedIn for dating. It happened, we met up because we live in the same city. And basically he's had this nonprofit that he volunteers with because of like what I've been posting on LinkedIn lately with like job search advice to candidates. He thought I would be interested and he's also a technical recruiter and tech is not very prevalent in Portland, which is where I live. And so I thought, you know, okay, this would actually be a really great opportunity to meet somebody in the same space as me. And here's something clearly neither of us went into this, like this is a date. It just happened organically because... We ended up hitting it off after I learned more about like his opportunity that he wanted to share with me. We talked about our jobs, being a recruiter, Portland, and then even dating came into the focus. And then we couldn't stop texting each other. That's how that happened. I mean, we're not talking anymore, but like, it was still kind of a cool way to not meet someone off a dating app. That is the way that you can maybe successfully date someone off LinkedIn, but it has to be organic. Obviously like you need to go in with good intentions, knowing you're there for professional reasons and let things happen organically. And if that's welcomed by the other person, awesome.
1: Roll with it. If you want, That that's the thing. So much happens on there that people would, people would class as Someone like myself, I, it's not consensual. Even if, if it's a message started in good faith and then you just jump straight to the wild stuff like we've been talking for a month, don't do that. Save that for Reddit or Twitter. Go act a fool over there. Yeah. Don't let things evolve consensually naturally.
0: Exactly. And that's exactly what happened with us. So... I mean, very like grateful for the experience. You know, I wish him the best, but you know, there are the reasons as to like why it didn't work it out, and we won't talk about that. I mean, when I talk about trying to ease anxiety for candidates on LinkedIn, like I get very loud. I am just brutally honest, and I'm just straight up in my post. Mm -hmm. And I have to make a disclaimer on my summary saying these thoughts are my own. They do not reflect my company values. They do not fall under my employer. I'm separate from my own company. Just sharing like, you know, this doesn't affect me as a professional recruiter. This is me giving my thoughts and opinions because I am so bothered and triggered by the bad job search advice out there that's being spread to candidates. And they're misguided and we will talk about that because oh yeah oh yeah because you know I got a lot to say and like I said I know like a lot of your TikTok videos you like to demystify the job search world as well so before we do that though you talked a little bit about how nobody kind of goes to school for HR so what I want to know is how did you get into HR and recruiting? Like, I want to hear your journey about that because obviously like everyone has a funny story on how they get into it.
1: Right. So for me, it was interesting. I think I knew I always wanted to get into this. I didn't know what it was called and I didn't know how because I didn't know what it was called. Yeah. Um, I knew what human resources was. I had yeah. a variety of interactions with various HR people as a retail manager, especially, but... I didn't know what they did, even if I knew what it was. And I won't say that I had the, you know, HR is not your friend ideology ever framed in my mind, which we'll so stupid. Here. I never had that, but none of my experiences were awesome. I think they're supposed to be responsible for making sure that people have a great experience from the top down. Right. So like, maybe this is for me. I like this kind of, I like this avenue from the ages of 14 to 28 ish. I was in retail was a long mm-hmm. time. Us millennial kids, we, uh, yep. we've seen some shit. We have. Um, <laughs> I had done this long stint in retail. The last place that I worked at was actually Tommy Bahama. And okay.
0: Yeah, I remember that. store. Oh, for
1: Just over two and a half years.
0: Yeah. It was,
1: it was a good time for what it was, right? Like, mm-hmm. I knew that wasn't my overall vibe. It wasn't a place I was going to draw me in organically. One of my boys put me on. He was a manager at the store that I eventually became a manager at. So I was like, cool, let's do this. I got to a point where I was like, this is literally not worth my mental well-being anymore. Sure. Like, I can't do this. I gave, I don't know, it was like a month's notice or something like that. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. I was trying to be nice, right? Yeah, I figured. Uh, and this is before I knew what I know now. So <laughs> again, wish helping people who deserve this kind of information. I gave him a month. I think it really ended up being like three and a half weeks. I was unemployed for like four months. And my partner at the time, she was helping me out. I was working 10 jobs here and there through different recruiting agencies. So that was my first taste of working in people operations Mm -hmm. by being a candidate and seeing how agencies do things. Yeah. And then one of my old retail managers actually hit me up and which is wild because she actually DM'd me on Twitter and I know this woman has my phone number. I'm like, bro, don't play games like that. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yo, tech, we started going back and forth. It's like a week or so in text, uh, And I ended up interviewing at this agency that was just north of Boston and ended up in there. I, I learned some of the more technical like foundations on, uh, you start out as a sourcer, of course, you how to find candidates, how to do outreach, mm-hmm. uh, data tracking, putting things together. Then you start talking to candidates and I'm like, all right, like that part's pretty easy. I spent 15 years talking to complete strangers for 10 plus hours a day. So like, that's cool. Um, but then I, I realized how deep it can get because when you're, at a, when you're at an agency, you can have accounts and contacts at set accounts in a variety of industries. So you have, especially in the Northeast and the Boston area, you have obviously all the tech, right? You have a lot of tech based here. Then you start looking into life sciences, life sciences. Like Boston is the epicenter of life sciences. Is
0: it really? I didn't know that.
1: And the, and just the, uh, the, in an area of Cambridge called Kendall square where MIT is actually, Okay. Uh, there's a whole half a mile, if not larger area (laughs) that's just biotech and labs and all kinds of stuff. And that's one of thousands in the area. There was a point where. I think my manager recognized that like I couldn't grow anymore at this place, mm-hmm. and I ended up getting hit up by my old job. There was a uh, the woman who's a former director of people, and she slid in my DMs on LinkedIn and was like, hey, I was looking at your profile, this, that, and the other. I would love to talk to you about coming over here and helping us with our recruiting efforts. So I was like, mm, imposter syndrome, because I've only been doing this for eight months. Are you yeah. sure? Like, yeah, <laughs> I just learned how to source in comparison like two weeks ago, so right. <laughs> our, I don't think we should be talking. I went through the interview process, I got to go to the office, I talked to a bunch of people. My interview was with 90% of the executive team, and then I realized what I was getting myself in for. They were essentially trying to build a foundation for their recruiting infrastructure, and I was like, This sounds like a really fun opportunity to get my hands dirty again, right? But also being an industry that I've always wanted to be in which is tech and lola.com was travel tech. This is actually kind of fire. I might jump on this. I went back, talked to the woman who who got me the job at the agency and I was like, "Yo, this sounds like a dope opportunity. I might I might have to slide on this." And she was like, "Please do. You deserve it. Like you've been kicking ass since you got here this Yeah. Before. And it was very emotional for both of us cuz she hired me when I was only like 22 years old. So we're talking 10 years later. Yeah. And, she, you know, she watched me grow up.
0: I was going to say, she watched you grow. Exactly. Yeah, like
1: she watched me grow as a, a a person in two different careers and as a human being. Like, I yeah. didn't have a beard when she met me. Like my, <laughs> hair, my haircut was way lower than this. I was doing it myself. It was awful. Like, <laughs> I was a baby when she met me. Yeah. So it was really cool to have that moment with her. I took the job at Lola, started there as a recruiter, Was the, I was the one and only recruiter, and then grew into the people operations manager role that I had before we were acquired. That was semi-happenstance. So that happened, I was only at Lola six months before the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. Now when we are in travel, everything sucks. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. The second that happened. So we went through the layoffs. I managed to yeah. survive. I'm like, oh, oh well, that's
0: good. Because people in HR and recruiting are the first ones to go in layoffs. the first
1: to go. And the woman who brought me in to Lola, she ended up being one of the people laid off, which was like really sad. We're still a really great friends. She is a fantastic human being. And like we share like life stuff now, which is cool. Becoming a people ops manager was one of those things that I didn't know, I have some insight on now how the people ops world works. So I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about the skills I want to get good at. I'm thinking about what's my version of being a supportive human resources officer, because I have my own experiences. There are experiences that the rest of the planet has had with their human resources, people so far, 90% of them I've heard of were trash. I've actually. Kind of come into this space without anyone having to cookie cut me into being like, this is how HR works. Yeah. And I won't say I'm the only one, but I'm going to imagine that that's very rare because a lot of people, they start out and kind of the, you know, they come in, they learn the rules and they have a process and they learn the company's process and all these other things. The middle of 2020 happened and it's like, oh, I should remember to teach people how to be human beings and remember to treat them as such. And it's like, I've never not done that. I'm going to set the bar for what HR should be to anyone, whether they've done something wrong or not. We haven't done a good job of marketing ourselves as a field ever. And most of HR looks like you. I, until I got into HR, didn't meet a whole lot of people that looked like me. Yeah. That comes to my focus of trying to figure out at what point did someone other than me, who may be more veteran than I am in the space, has anyone thought about the fact that the reason why people have so many issues, not just with HR, but other people in their workplace, when HR can handle those things, is because of the lack of representation in the space that's supposed to be helping create the representation in the workplace.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause I actually wanted to ask you, what would you say has been something that's really eye-opening for you in terms of working in HR as a black man?
1: It's become less about how many of us there are and more about why so many of us have left, have left this field as black people. And that's a really powerful thing to think about it when you really try to dissect it. Right because I only started meeting black people in this space when I got in it. I only started meeting other black men in this space when I got in it. And I met so many more people who left, who Mm -hmm. So now it really comes down to what the fuck is going on in HR as a field that's that's decreasing their representation. Right? And while I haven't gathered like specific stories, the broad experience has been when someone who looks like myself speaks up in a room full of leaders, even if it's heard, no action ever gets presented. Even if we are the ones who present it, nothing happens. So now you have whatever the scenario may be in the workplace, there's this domino effect. And then comes George Floyd, then comes Ahmad aubrey then comes Brianna Breon, Brianna taylor and all yeah. these real world situations where it's yeah. like oh black people are human beings we should treat them like that we've never not been so where you been like it, it's
0: ridiculous right it's,
1: it, it's ridiculous and i made this post on linkedin recently do people understand how petty racism is like it's actually really petty you're really upset over our color for generations it's not like this didn't start yesterday we just have phones with yeah candy.
0: No, you make a point. It is petty, absolutely, <laughs> it's
1: breathtakingly petty. So, like, hearing the amount of black people who left the field of HR and why they left—it's because even if they were responsible for creating the safe space in the workplace, a question that comes up a lot is who is HR for HR? And it's like, well, it should be us, but it can't be that because the majority has played into the rest of the the systemics in corporate America. Yeah. That just helps that group succeed and leave us where we are. And now we have this whole beef of, well, is DEI I was literally function. just about to
0: bring that up with
1: DEI. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it a business function or an HR function? And it's like, well, both of these are business functions. They just have a very they have very 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 few places where they don't intersect. Yeah, there's a focus for both. They're both business functions that focus on the people. If people are cool and they are chilling and they are treated well and they're heard and they're trained well and given the opportunity to both succeed and fail and then coach to succeed once more, you've catered to the people. You've done everything you are supposed to be doing to support the business. Yeah. That's how it's supposed to work. Clearly it's died down a little bit, but every once in a while, I'll see a post or a tweet or a TikTok about how separate these things should be. And it's like, all right, well, cool. Now we have all these inclusion initiatives, right? That's dope. What's step two?
0: Right. Because what I wanted to ask you is when you mentioned like more people of color were leaving HR, do you think that DEI initiatives being put into play was probably one of the reasons because obviously diversity in the workplace is very important, right? Right. But I think lately, it's becoming more performative now. And so where is the balance and I'd love to hear your perspective on this? How can we as people who are not of color, diversity is something that we should care about, because everyone should be included and no one should feel left out. And we don't want make make people feel like oh, there's no people at this company that don't look like me obviously like well, we don't want people to feel unsafe and uncomfortable so what can we do to make these efforts more comfortable without being performative
1: i think the first thing is to remember that it starts with the individual yourself whether it's in a workplace setting or not now that these conversations are happening about inclusivity and being your true self at work that means sometimes Having a person in leadership recognize or peer recognize that you feel a particular way about something that's going on in your personal life, and it can impact your work. Then we go to the whole deconstructing thing. What are you doing when we're not on Zoom calls together to make sure you're keeping your biases, not at bay, but keeping them... Like just in
0: check or... Like or is that, that the same thing
1: and keeping it within your line of sight? So like you can see when they're coming.
0: Yeah, it and hold yourself accountable, right?
1: Like psychologically, you can't eliminate a bias. That's not a thing. Yeah, but you can train yourself to pay attention. So when you see that joint a mile off, you're like, mm, I sit and I shouldn't say or do this particular thing. Practice makes awesome. That's something I've said to my associates when I was managing in retail. That's something I will say for the rest of my life. And we all know the clip of Allen Iverson back in the day being like, we're talking about practice. We're talking about practice. Anyone who's seen Ted Lasso and he mimics that whole interview. We're talking about practice. If you aren't doing what you should be doing to make spaces psychologically safe for anyone, whether they look like you or not, of course you're not gonna be good at everything else that needs to come with that. Cause you, you yeah. so if you're doing the work on your own, that's step one. Okay. Step two is find your version of that while making sure you're keeping your biases in line of sight and an earshot. What do I mean by that? Is it supporting a gang of black businesses or is it finding a business that caters to a hobby or an interest or a talent that you have, and you're including that one specific category of whatever it is into your life. I am a gamer. I am a huge Pokemon fan. Mm-hmm. Those two communities, gaming's a little more toxic, but when <laughs> you find your group of people-
0: Yeah, and you shut down more.
1: You, you can hunker down on that thing. Yeah. I am actually a part of a large black Pokemon fandom on a variety of sites. That's Uh,
0: really cool.
1: And it's super cool. And Pokemon's one of those things that will forever influence and change my life. And we'll get into that too, because a lot of people find that weird or don't completely understand. Oh,
0: I grew up loving and watching Pokemon. I mean, when Pokemon Go came out in like 2016, like right after I had graduated from my master's degree, it pretty much was an epidemic where yeah. it was taking over the world. It's like you felt like you were in a movie where right. all the characters became obsessed with something. And we were the characters yep. becoming obsessed with something. And I was living in Kentucky at the time. And I, hear, I heard downtown in Lexington, Kentucky at night was the best time to go Pokemon searching on Pokemon yep. Go. And all you would see are people walking around on their phones and I would go with my friends. Oh my God. It was embarrassing, but like, it was funny. It was a great time. But
1: you have to think about it. When was the last time a such a large array of identities were in the same space for the same reason? And you didn't have to think about the person next to you and who they were or how they came to be. It was like, you look, think, smell, feel different than I do, but we love this thing, and this is going to be the thing that brings us together. Yeah. That is the whole, that is what inclusion and inclusivity and efforts towards that looks like. Pokemon single-handedly solved that problem for a whole summer <laughs> in 2016. I know. I and don't it's, think they knew that.
0: I don't think that's exactly, that's probably not, not like what they were trying to do, because I don't think they knew how big it was gonna blow up They, they didn't oh. know what was gonna happen but I definitely think you know it was very rewarding to see what kind of community it did build. I played for a solid eight months and then eventually I kind of got a little bit bored and I just didn't like that my phone was dying this all the time from the battery open
1: the app. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah you always have to carry like a portable battery charger with you now I mean I still know people who play oh, yeah. but and that's totally fine. I mean, I just eventually got, very bored because like my you know my ADHD just kicking in but oh right. no I mean trust me I had so much fun playing with it and I always wanted to go to like new spots being like oh can I find a cool Pokemon that I haven't been able to find
1: I'm a console person I've played all of them from Game Boy through the Nintendo Switch I have played every last one of them beating them all done all the extra stuff I'm working through one right now I'm waiting for the other one to come out in the fall I'm ready yeah but going back to the whole efforts right like checking yourself at the door kind of uh so to speak what are you doing on your own outside of the eyes of of others when you are in line of sight and earshot of others are you habitually having an inclusive conversation and not in the sense of bringing people who don't look like you or think like you into it it's more so are we going to get to a point in society where someone mentions something that happened in the news or just general life where it doesn't pertain to what's popular that only gravitates to what people think is white culture. Yeah. I mentioned Ted Lasso and I literally only seen episodes of Ted Lasso because my best friend and her boyfriend, both of which are white, were like, yo, you need to watch this because we know your sense of humor. And I'm like, okay, bet. I love it, but I wouldn't have watched that on my own. Can I have a conversation about In Living Color? Can I have a conversation about Wonder Years? Can I have a conversation about a Tyler Perry movie? Can I walk into a room full of white folks and just comfortably talk about things that make me happy and not have a person look at me like I'm crazy? Even if they don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. They're actively engaging. You you just want your conversation
0: to be accepted and your hobbies to be accepted and people to like learn more about it.
1: Right. So if I have to think about that and have the weight of making this space comfortable for myself, that ladder is not my responsibility. Yeah. Like, I'm not your Black Google. Like, that's not a thing. Right.
0: It shouldn't be your thing. I mean, it's not your job as a Black person to constantly educate people. It's one thing if somebody has a really deep question that they want to ask you about your perspective, like what we're doing today. Like, these are questions Mm -hmm. that I can't find on Google, right? Right. But having conversation is important and being open to listening and hearing those perspectives is super important. And that's why I was really excited to talk to you about this stuff, because I can't imagine what it is like to be a black man working in HR and wondering, was I just a diversity hire or did people genuinely like me as Frankie, as the HR person who does a good job at what he does?
1: It's funny you say that because before... I finally reached this sense of peace in myself. I would think, like, all right, well, they hired me because I'm the token black dude. Like, all right, you got to do what you got to do. Everything has some kind of stat to support it, right? You have to eventually track this stuff, which a lot of companies are doing, mine included. The problem with the idea around data is people stick strictly to the data. And it's like, no, the data is important as a foundation for what you should be doing.
0: Exactly. Everything
1: yeah. else should be. Where does a human come into play after this, right? Would I have gotten hired, would I have had a higher chance of getting hired if I was white with the same experience I have now, which compared to a lot of my peers, isn't a whole lot? Honestly, yeah, much higher chance. But it's a thing that like the old heads in the black community have been saying forever, we have to work twice as hard to get half as far. I'm willing to do that while also making sure people understand that I'm not going to work twice as hard if I don't have to. So you just going to have to deal with the fact that I'm real good at what I do.
0: Yeah, hell yeah. I
1: happen to be black. That's that's the type of time I'm on. If you are looking for me to do unrealistic extra work, I smell you later. I'm not dealing with you. I don't have time for that.
0: Right? Exactly. Many other
1: things as a black man in this in this country on this planet to worry about and trying to impress someone for a salary.
0: No, totally. And I'm I'm with you. And I think what you said is exactly like how it should be. I mean, for me, even though I'm white, I'm a woman and technically like women in tech, that still counts towards diversity quotas. And I've always wondered if I was ever a diversity hire at my last company. And for me at that I'll be honest at that point I really didn't give a shit cuz I really needed a job cuz the pandemic screwed right. me or so I'm like if you want me to be your diversity fi- hire I don't fucking care just I need a job I need money No when I get here But yeah
1: you're in for a shit storm
0: Oh yeah exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> I'm exactly to do work. Exactly I was there to do work and now that I have gained at least 3 years of experience in tech recruiting, part of me thinks that I now could maybe easily beat out a white man in recruiting if I were to interview. And as you know, the market is very hot for tech recruiters and people in HR. It's crazy. I like to say we're, that we're the new software engineers. So Not I feel like never. if I were to lose my job now, I feel like I would have an easier time getting a job compared to January of last year, where I was struggling to get interviews and have people take me at the time because I was still not as experienced or I was still competing against other recruiters who had strong experience coming from big public companies and they had it in the bag. Like, you know, I I just couldn't compete against that and that's fair, but now it's just, it's so different. And I feel like recruiting has evolved within the past two years and that a lot of people are now holding recruiters accountable, especially other recruiters who are holding other recruiters accountable. Because when we interview for recruiting jobs, we're actually not being interviewed by recruiters. We're now being right. interviewed by who would be our potentially our manager. And now it's hiring managers that are being shitty.
1: Right. I don't even know where to start with that. And it was something that we, so we'll we'll speak on a specific scenario. This had to be about a month ago now, or just shy of it, the whole recruiter at Honeywell thing.
0: Oh, my God. Yes.
1: Took over the internet for like 14 days straight.
0: Yes. Oh, my God. What a mess.
1: I spoke my piece on it. and I did too. And I was like, all right, cool. What that woman did was trash. But there's two things to think about here that no one is mentioning. The candidate slash new hire that this happened to is seeing this thing trend on the internet and is realizing that this is about them. That has to be... One of the worst feelings ever.
0: Oh yeah, Tomorrow, can you imagine how the candidate feels? Did what they
1: did and bragged about it. Then there's the other part where the 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 recruiter who did what she did was getting death threats. And when I made my, and video that's not video, okay. Like, people were like, "No, she wasn't. She had friends like you know, pe- bots or whatever." I've been watching these threats come in in real time on Twitter before I even said anything. I actually never said anything on Twitter about it. Mm-hmm. I don't think I said anything on Twitter about it for about two or three days. I let it ride. And then I started seeing more and more authentic posts by people, not just on Twitter, but on LinkedIn. We'll get to that in a second. Yeah. That's been real file for about 10 minutes before they started doing something about it. I hated how I felt on speaking my piece because it was a black woman. Mm-hmm. It made me feel terrible. Sure. I also then had to check a bias at the door that it does not matter... Who you are you cannot treat people that way period
0: right it's about your behaviors
1: it's behavior only what she did was trash yeah so this death threat thing is so extra and so disturbing and disgusting
0: and she certainly didn't deserve that
1: she did not deserve that so i was i was more pissed about that than anything else. sure because sure in a number six that's easy her getting whatever kind of reprimanding she would get from the company or whoever, that's easy. Yep. I have like goosebumps rage thinking about that. Like it makes me feel really upset.
0: Absolutely. It
1: comes back to the conversation. It comes back to the aspect of there is a Black woman involved in this and we do need to protect our Black women. So that can't ride. I wasn't letting that happen.
0: Right. But you can still hold her accountable for her bad actions. Right.
1: Right. And I was like, what she did was trash, but y'all forcing it. Don't do that.
0: Exactly. I mean, I had my own thoughts on it too. And obviously like, yes, I recognize she was a black woman and I wanted to just speak my piece in a very neutral standpoint, just treating right. her like any other person, even if you were white, I would still be saying the same fucking thing to you right. because what you did was really shitty. And you knew you could have offered that candidate more. Let's just say in the past, I've had candidates when I talk salary with them in the first conversation. Let's say they give me a range and I know my company is even a little bit more above their range.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I'm going to fucking make their day when I give them an offer that's like maybe 10 to 20k more than what they asked.
1: Cause guess what, when you do something like that, right? They might not have been the sharpest tack in the box when we look at hard skills, but when you're having that conversation and whoever is having that conversation with the candidate, if there are more things than not that you as an organization and managers and whoever can cater to and improve upon, if you show that person that you're willing to invest in their growth, they're gonna come in and bust their ass. It happened to me. It happened to me in my last job. I threw a number out that was like almost 10K less than what I ended up with. There you go. I hung up the phone and cried. Because I was like, that's not real. No <laughs> one is that nice, right? And then when I got into this place, they're really about this life. Like they actually care about the human. And that was one of the three things. People first, you first, team second, customer third. If You can take care of yourself. Then you go to teach everybody else. You're cool to treat everyone else the way they should be treated. Now you're building a dope product that people want to pay for. Yep. Because everybody's chilling. Yeah. And the hard conversations will always happen. And the drama will always happen. And- that's life.
0: Yeah, it's that is life.
1: Energy. With the perspective thing, Dan offered a perspective. Dan from HR. On
0: yes, TikTok, who I know who TikTok. he is.
1: He's like the godfather of HR TikTok. He's I love that dude.
0: He's great uh, on LinkedIn too. If you follow him there. Oh my
1: goodness, he's oh he's the. <laughs> f- that's we could do a whole other podcast. We'll YouTube. have yeah. I
0: was gonna say I <laughs> want to transition into LinkedIn influencers and TikTok influencers based off what we're talking about now. But yeah. Speak your last thought on Dan from HR.
1: He offered a perspective on that whole scenario where he was like, she was taught this. And I was like, oh my God, I never thought about that. She was taught to do what she did to that candidate at Honeywell. And it made me think about all the other people who post what they post on LinkedIn and post what they post on TikTok who have no experience. Because the people, the influencers in TikTok took that and obviously was talking about this subject as well. And went with the whole HR is not your friend. And here's three easy tips to lie your way into this.
0: Oh my gosh. And I'm like, yes. Oh you're just
1: taking your own traumatic experiences, which are valid. Yes. And pushing a message that you have negative experience in. Exactly. If you spoke to your field, that's different. But telling people to lie about qualifications, telling people to cheat on about uh, accolades that they have getting in and faking it till you make it. There's no universe where it would take that long for any one of us. So <laughs> your background check came back and you're tripping offer rescinded. <laughs> <laughs> There's no hidden job market. That's not real. Oh
0: my god, yes, exactly. So let okay we need to talk about <laughs> we, we, we need to talk about this. So we need to just demystify some of the worst job miss out there. One of the biggest things is coming from the Mercedes conversation, who is the recruiter from Honeywell, which is what we were talking about. There's a big myth out there saying whoever gives the first number in a negotiation loses and that's fucking bullshit. And then people will say, well, if you give them that low number, they're just going to give you that low number. And that's necessarily not true. Right. I'm not saying it doesn't happen because yes, right. it, cer- it certainly has happened. And if you've had that experience, that trauma that you've experienced is totally valid. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you in tech, I can only share from my perspective and my bias of my field and how I recruit as a recruiter. That's just not a thing. I mm-hmm. want to make sure my candidates are getting paid appropriately. I already work at a startup where the salary bands are already low to begin with. And it's already hard enough being a recruiter at a startup when there are so many candidates who come from big enterprise companies or fake companies, they don't fucking understand that startups are going to pay below the market rate. I'm and, so
1: glad you said
0: that. and it's, it's frustrating. I know my company will get better over time. And there are many startups who are trying to make more competitive offers. Absolutely. And obviously it has hurt me and I've had offers fail. I always talk salary in my first call and I will never get off a phone call or a video call the candidate until they can give me a ballpark range. Right. Now, I'm always happy if they want to reverse Uno and be like, "Well, let me ask you what the range is." I'm happy to give the range, but mm. I can't I can't give the range to you over a LinkedIn message. It's just against my policy. Oh yeah. I'm not trying to like be nasty to candidates. Like I'm not trying to hide anything. I just no. don't want to lose my fucking job. Some candidates just do not understand because there's a lack of empathy on candidates' parts too. And candidates also need to realize some of them can sound really fucking entitled. And they yes. think that they're the best things in the world and that they deserve to know everything and that recruiters and hiring managers are the problem. No, sometimes you're the problem. And you're not willing to listen to us. who sorry, I got very heated oh, for a second. Oh,
1: no, that because we're I'm so glad we're going there. This is going to be fun. Uh, <laughs> the hidden job market one was a new one to me. I hadn't heard that until I got on TikTok.
0: Oh, no, I knew about it for years. And i had to unlearn that once i got into recruiting
1: i was like okay what do they mean by that and then i came i learned real quickly that they didn't know what they meant by that right (laughs) because i would ask them i'm like so what when you say hidden job market and i would i put up a front too i'd be like i'm new to this i don't know what this what are y'all talking about right and they'll be like oh like you know when they they already know who they want to hire but they have to post a role anyway who the fuck? who told you that
0: right Sometimes really that happens, not okay. but it's 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 a rare thing. I will say, I will say, I've worked at places where we've opened up roles and referrals are made, but I still have All to right. interview other candidates and sometimes a referral sucks and their referral yeah. and sometimes we can't afford the referral. Yep. So you can't just assume like this person is interested just because I know Jim Bob is perfect for the role doesn't right. mean that Jim Bob wants to work at your company and doesn't if mean he that qualify,
1: gi- he's going to get it. Like someone's better than him.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think people just have a lot of anxieties. They think the worst of the situations, but I have worked at companies where we've had some secret searches, right. but they've only been higher up roles or it's because they're a contractor. So right. we're not going to post a contract rule because we know of like an agency that we're working with on the side. And that's one thing. So I want to say it's maybe an eight percent of jobs are not posted, not fucking eighties. There are some certain scenarios where it does happen, but that is not the case for all jobs. Because otherwise, how the fuck will we make hires if all jobs were hidden?
1: Thank you. And it's wild because I'll be like, "Do you mean like internally posted jobs or jobs that no one's telling the general public about?" Because that just means there isn't a job available for the most part, right? If it's an internal role that ends up becoming an ex- external role where you see from the outside that's still not the same thing as it's what you're still not hidden happens that's not yeah. hidden and in certain industries you can't not not post in certain industries you can't do that like <laughs> that's not real so right that one. i that's a realm that i haven't even bothered trying to debunk because that that's a different kind of crazy over
0: Right, um, and people just want to say that like networking. Oh well, networking—that's the hidden job. Okay, here's that, the thing: okay, networking, cool. networking is still not hidden. Word of the mouth is still not hidden. Referrals is not hidden. That's You're not still hidden. learning about the job in some <laughs> way. Do I believe networking is a good thing? Absolutely, really? I do. Please,
1: y'all, please network.
0: Please network
1: it will help you it's way more helpful than you think and when we talk about networking it can't just be like i added 500 connections on linkedin
0: yeah it's more than that you Are still you need to build that
1: connection? yeah and it doesn't even have to be work related that person might not be able to put you on to something five years until five years from the time y'all started connecting and building your relationship
0: Exactly. For me, one role that I did get was through networking. But I knew the person she knew my background, she knew that I would be perfect for it. And so Mm -hmm. that that happened. So yes, I have gotten a job from not applying to something online. But it wasn't hidden. It was still there. It's frustrating because it's like you can't just build relationships and say, Oh, the jobs will come. No, you still got to put in the work you got to put in the work, you can still easily apply to jobs online. I personally don't recommend reaching out to hiring managers. This is a you're not going to know who the hiring manager is. You also may not know if you're even reaching out to the right recruiter. If candidates are interested in applying to a job at my company, and I say like, Hey, happy to hear you're interested in working at my company, but I'm actually not the recruiter for this position. Right. but apply to the job. Someone will get back to you. I just can't hop on a quick phone call to like chat with you about a job. Some people just don't know how to approach recruiters. And I've made several LinkedIn posts about like how to approach recruiters and what recruiters are for because people think recruiters are there to help you get jobs. It's not right. jobs for people. It's people for jobs.
1: Right. And it's like the the idea around that in general, more often than not, and again, this is this is one of the things that I want to, Make sure that I share with everyone when I make the content I create. It's piece by piece. How does this look from your perspective as a candidate, and from the perspective of a recruiter? Whether they're interviewing you or they just sourced you or however you wound up finally in the funnel, right? First off, what the heck is a funnel? Most of y'all saying stuff out here and don't even know how the funnel, the concept of a funnel, and how it works. Stop giving advice. And you don't know what the hell you're talking about. So many people internally. Have so many functions that they play in the hiring process, and especially one of the things I look at when I, when I'm just kind of trolling and seeing how people are doing things is people use LinkedIn as the as the the end all be all tool to network. Yeah, and I'm like, that's great. And you know, companies post jobs on LinkedIn, and it shows you how long it's been up, and sometimes it'll show you who the Hiring managers or the recruiter is, yeah, and it,
0: it well, Kenya,
1: that still doesn't mean you have to blast everybody's inbox. It's not so much about us being rude, the sheer volume of human beings who slide into our DMs on a daily basis.
0: You think we can manage it all? It, it's <laughs> frustrating.
1: Candidates, I still work with two, three, four hundred, in my case, 51,000. Other people. I'm going to miss all of that. Yeah. I might get one. I might get one, depending on how you present yourself and be like, hey, there's still a chance I hit you back up and say, I'm not the person you should be talking to. There's ways to do this if you choose to do that. More often than not, I frown upon it because when, and from a recruiting perspective, I'm not the hiring manager. I might not be able to speak to the technical aspects that. Right. You are asking me about in your DM. Yeah. More often than not, it doesn't work that way. I can even work in a specific industry that only does one thing with one type of person, there a product or just engineers or just people or just sales. I'm still not a salesperson, I'm still a recruiter. So I'm not a salesperson, I'm still an HR representative. Yeah. I can't tell you what a hiring manager is going to tell you. Also think about if someone was just sharing your name and personal contact info Without your permission. I'm not just gonna slide somebody's info to you. Right. Just because. That's just a good like how point. we tell you yeah. how to protect yourselves with taking your full address off of your resume. I still have a job to do over here where I gotta protect my employees.
0: Yeah, exactly. I just wish candidates could learn better how to network. And I will never stop advocating for candidates and always trying to help them right. with my LinkedIn post, but I can't be a consultant for you. That's not my job. Like I'm not gonna give you free training. Otherwise, I'm going to have to start charging you for my services. Exactly. And what I do is free and I want to keep it free because there's no need for you to spend tons of money to learn how to network, yeah. to even just pay for a resume writer. I mean, resume writers can be good, but I would rather trust maybe a resume writer who is focused in like english and grammar so they can at least check you for grammar stuff but if anyone is trying to sell you resume services to beat the ats run the opposite direction because that's my favorite myth to debunk is saying that the ats is going to eat your resume up and
1: spit it out and you're never gonna have a chance it's gonna go
0: in a black hole the robots are eating your resume they're searching out keywords That's not a thing. You're just applying to jobs that you're not qualified for. Like read the fucking job description.
1: What's one that I've become a fan of putting things in white font on. Oh, God. That's not real. That's not a thing. It's (laughs) not
0: a thing. And it also would be very problematic to have AI technology screening resumes for us because it would create a bias. Mm-hmm. And if they were deleting resumes, that's technically illegal and a huge. What is it? OFCP. I can't. Was
1: it the EOC?
0: My brain is farting right now. But basically, it's a huge problem. It's a
1: huge no-no.
0: It's a huge no-no. A it's a le- it's true. illegal. That is something that I basically tell people, and I've argued with so many candidates, or not candidates, career coaches online. Basically about this, and it's just hilarious. Sorry, OFCCP. That's what I was thinking of. Ah, yes. It clicked finally. Why
1: would someone go through that length to disqualify someone automatically? That's a complete stranger. The math isn't mathing. That's not. The math ain't <laughs> The math ain't mathing. It does. It doesn't do that. When we come back to the resume writers, right? The people who don't work in this realm. Guru, you know, career and creator. they've they've uh, never
0: worked in recruiting a day in their life. Let's keep that in mind. Yeah.
1: Resumes in and of itself are subjective.
0: They are, yes. You are
1: at the mercy of the person who's reading it. You are at the mercy of where it ends up, just in the flow of applications that come in. And I hate that aspect, but It's remembering that there will always be a human involved on the other side, whether your interview, whether your resume gets rejected before you get an interview or you make it to the offer stage. There's a human element that always exists. Here's the best format or here's the best wording. Put the things on there that you know you can speak to confidently if somebody calls you.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: The person on the other end, their responsibility is to be as unbiased and open to that information as possible. The whole perfect resume thing, more often than not, your resume probably looks way better than you think it does. Give yourself more credit. Yeah, it looks way better than you think. You've done the best you could. You tweak it when you should tweak it. You'll know if it works when you get further and further. You don't have to change it all the time because you're trying to cater to a mindset of a complete stranger who you might not ever meet and if you do meet them you might not ever see them again advice is always great take bits and pieces but we're talking grains of salt because no one can speak to your experience better than you can absolutely of dollars you pay somebody for that joint if you can't speak to what's on that paper or on that pdf when somebody pulls it up there's nothing to do for you you got to be able to talk about yourself and there's a bunch of nuance that goes into that that obviously we can go we could go into at any given point but there's no perfect resume there's no ats that eats your joint up and spits it out there's no job market there's no three easy steps it's more like five thousand really hard ones
0: (laughs) don't be afraid to talk about salary in the first step gotta talk
1: about numbers
0: yeah don't wait till the offer don't be scared none of this first person who gives a number loses and like even if you're too expensive for the company It's not the end of the fucking world. And people out here are making it sound like up. You blew it. You gave them a number world's ending
1: and literally sound like that. You got to know your place. You can't leave Google and go to a startup. That's like 300 people with only a few rounds of funding. And they trying to just like how you as an individual has some kind of checkings and or savings account. A company has the same thing. If you leave Google or Microsoft or one of the other things, and you slide over to some company expecting six three hundred
0: base salary, like uh, startups if you're can't pay that
1: 250 grand as yeah, like even a third-year software engineer at a company that just tried to figure out what the 250 they're gonna spend on, like making uh, yeah. it like you gotta know where you at, and that's yeah, that's the aspect of research that people don't think about.
0: People don't as research more
1: it than that, right? Yeah, and it's like it's one thing to talk about all the stuff to get the interview. What about when you get that joint? Right, you got to know your place. You could probably go to one of them big companies, leaving a startup, and ask for a ridiculous number, and they'll be like, eh, "That's wild," but like, you're gonna, you might get more money than you already make, and you might probably be cool with that. the opposite is very rarely true. The product and culture research that you read on three pages of the website, you'll understand and take into account more and more often as you practice the business side of things a lot yeah. of the numbers that people are trying to come up with is like oh, i saw it on salary.com i saw it on glassdoor
0: just ignore people
1: it. reviews on glassdoor from companies they worked at five years before they wrote that review yep that doesn't mean anything there's things that hr pros use that we a have to pay for The company pays for and B, we have to submit our own information to, to make sure that we're doing the thing right. So when you ask for a number, we're like, all right, that makes sense.
0: Exactly. So I know we're running short on time, but I mean, I have absolutely loved this conversation. I know we, you and I could talk on and on and on oh, for hours about this. If I didn't have a therapy appointment at eight, I would continue to stay on longer. But basically, Frankie, I am so happy that I had you on. I feel like I've learned a lot and I feel like people who are listening have learned a lot. So if people wanted to find you, where can they find you?
1: Yeah. Um. So I'm on Twitter. You can literally just type in tankopotamus. It's tankopotamus with two Ks. If you are looking for me on LinkedIn, you can type in Francis Rhodes. I'll be the first person who pops up. I'm one of the few black people with that name. Uh, <laughs> and TikTok is HR's agent of chaos, all lowercase, all one, all one word. Any of those is cool. I'm down for friends and advice and all that stuff. I don't charge nobody for nothing. If you want to pay me or like buy me a coffee, I'm not going to say no to that.
0: But
1: <laughs> I, I like tequila a lot. I like uh,
0: tequila too. But
1: like. I don't, we, we're not doing that. I want to help people be the best versions of themselves and grow into that. So that's just the type of time I'm on.
0: I love it so much. And I will have all of his social media handles in the podcast description. So you can go and check them out. And guys, if you ever have like an unapologetic experience that you want to share with me, so I can read it on an episode, make sure you email the podcast at shamelessly unapologetic podcast at gmail.com and make sure you follow us on instagram at shamelessly unapologetic and with that i will see you next week with a brand new episode bye